Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hometown Daily. This is Season 2, Episode 347 for December 13th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing oh, what big eyes you have. And that dog respiratory illness, it's spreading. How about dairy cows that produce less methane? And an emergency landing into military barracks, <laughs> sort of. Coconut waste has some fascinating uses. Apples and Googles can't be compared. OpenAI will pay to play. 17 free games, that's epic. And OER OMG free. And finally, Nuka-side. And I just clipped my audio. Let's do this. See you on the other side. Hello again, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is not the visualizer because I don't know where it went. It's not up there. Oh, there it is. Where is it? Oh, but it's not, it's not doing its thing. Hold on. uh, Living the dream, folks. How about now? And we're on. No. Nope. Well, I mean, you're there, but it, no. Uh, How about now? Nope. Let's try this one more time. How about now? It's there now. Nope. Um, one more, one more thing. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. This is what everybody is paying for. Yeah, I don't know. How about now? No? Okay. Still no? Nope. Uh, Well, that's okay. We'll just get on with it. And This is an OBS problem, not a... Not anybody else problem. (laughs) It's very frustrating. Um, Just because of the way that uh, OBS uh, captures audio and sometimes it's just a big pain in the butt. Right? That's right. OBS is being temperamental. Oh, God, that's so frustrating. Anyway, okay, so... Let's just get into the articles. Uh, uh, everybody will be able to. Up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI, but uh, whatever. Let's get going. So the very first article is over in Hometown Daily. Male sea snakes evolved big eyes to ogle at uh, or ogle at females. I say ogle, 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 ogle at females. So what big eyes you have, the better to see female sea snakes, I guess. I never thought of sea snakes as ogling. (laughs) Apparently they do. So I guess we better get used to it. Whenever you go to the beach and you see a sea snake, it's going to be apparently looking at you with those uh, come hither eyes. How are you doing? 
how are you doing? Female sea snakes evolved to get larger than the female counterparts and males developed bigger eyes to track down potential mate. Uh, articles over at uh, newsweek.com, Jess Thompson, Thompson, no P, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, not Thompson, Thompson, um, wrote the article, being able to slither gracefully through the ocean isn't the only thing that sets sea snakes apart from snakes on land. Hey, apparently they've got, uh, got their naughty bits all up in the water. That'll make you think twice about swimming in the ocean. Yeah. There's the only a lot thing of worse that. than snakes on land is snakes in the water. There's a lot of that going on out there and everybody just swims happily in the ocean. But oh, Sheldon would probably be having a heart attack if he actually touched the ocean. <laughs> oh, nature. To adapt to life in the ocean, sea snakes underwent a range of, a range of strange adaptations, including changes in size, increased dimorphism, or different characteristics between the sexes, according to a new paper in the journal Royal Society Open Science. The paper reveals that female, I don't know, apisurine uh, sea snakes became increasingly larger than their male counterparts. I believe technically they are referred to as thick. And then uh, uh, males developed larger eyes so that they could be further away and see all those thick snakes out there. You know, with all their, look at that tail. Woo! I hate to see you leave, but I love to watch you slither away. <laughs> Do they still slither when they're in the water? Wow, that one looks like it's slithering. <laughs> yeah, they actually do the same undulating motion, except that they're actually pushing on the water. And so they go like that, just like a regular, like a, a fish, except that their whole body is doing that same slithering motion. Um, I think they do longer sweeps, but uh, generally, and I think they actually have a flatter tail. Um, this is a stock image of a banded sea crate, which is basically a snake. So um the researchers found that while males were evolving to be smaller than females their eyes were getting much larger in comparison to the rest of their bodies because they wanted to see all that look at that whoa do these stripes make me look slim nope they make you look thick anyway they went on according to this article they even write they went on Unlike their terrestrial counterparts, male sea snakes cannot locate reproductive females by following substrate deposited pheromone trails and instead may rely on visual cues like look at that snakes behind. Whoa. You know, to understand, understand a sea snake, you have to get into the mind of the sea snake, become one with it. If I want to, see how a sea snake finds another sea sea snake what would i do that's why i've been jumping in the pool and looking for <laughs> i was gonna say something about mating but uh i'm the mayor of hometown i probably shouldn't be talking like this I'm gonna <laughs> that have. That's probably uh, true. You're uh, gonna end up in the sea snake HR. <laughs> uh, I'm, 
there's the link. I'm going to move on to the next article. So the next article is over in Hometown Daily. This is a pivot, I and I hate to go from something jocular to something serious, but it is serious, and I want to keep on drawing attention to this so that people can at least be aware of it, that if their uh, pet is experiencing some discomfort or uh, acting differently, it could be something like this. Uh, just a couple of days ago, we said that there, it was had spread to like five states. Now it's 16. So canines in at least 16 states have experienced the mystery respiratory disease, according to the latest official tally. That's right. Dog respiratory illness maps show it's spread to 16 states. So I actually saw this map before I saw the article. So when I saw the article, I said, huh, more people are talking about it. I think we should talk about it. So well, that's also odd, too, because it's not states that are necessarily located together. There's groups of states, but then kind of makes you wonder what's going on in those surrounding states. Yeah, so no idea, but it's almost like somebody took a road trip from Maine to California and... Uh, yeah, it's almost a line. And, uh, you know, you just don't know if it is a line because it really is like this. And then the anomalous right. stuff is like Florida is a population center. I don't know why it would be up here, um, but apparently it's not really it doesn't really care about climb, you know, at the climate. It, it's just it's wherever there's somebody or something has distributed it. So Alex Phillips over at Newsweek.com put the article together. Then they said 16 16 states, right? So, yeah. Um, Cases of atypical canine infectious respiratory um, disease complex, or ACIRDC, as it has been dubbed until the cause of illness is established, has appeared in Pennsylvania and Nevada most recently after being found among dogs in 14 states. In late November, it was previously documented in 11 states. Last time we heard about it was, I think, five states is when we addressed it. But if your pet is experiencing some discomfort and uh, you are in these states, California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington State. If you are in any of those, you might have a case of ACIRDC. So go and get your pet examined. The illness was first recognized in Oregon earlier this year, and it's already spread 200 reports with cases appearing focused around the Portland area. And now has spread to 16 states across the country. And this is pretty serious because it looks like it can, at worst, uh, lead to death. Correct. Um, And they're describing it as not having any zoonotic uh, potential. So it's not going to, they say it's not going to spread from animals to humans. But all it takes is one genetic wobble and it can hop and Ta-da. you have another covid type of outbreak with this type of response uh, uh, spread right in less than a year across the country with no known cause they don't know what the illness is i think that it could be um 
could be even worse as people start collating everything together. David Needle, chief pathologist at the diagnostics lab, described the microbe that they had isolated as a weird bacterium to NBC News as it was smaller That's than comforting. normal. Huh? That's comforting that it's a weird bacterium. Yeah, you never want to be the interesting case, I suppose, as it was a smaller than normal bacteria that did not have a cell wall. So now I'm really curious. Um, let's see here. The normal community of bacteria and other microorganisms that live in the respiratory tract, but had developed a virulence associated gene slash trait. So um, somehow I doubt that this is actually the cause of it. There's probably a virus that's causing the bacteria to flourish it almost like a symbiotic relationship between the virus and the bacteria. Right. But don't you think it's odd that it's supposedly spreading among dogs because yeah. most dogs aren't congregating together. Like that's well, different than if it's groups of people or something. Yeah. I don't understand how this could happen if it's in food, if it's, um, something, I mean, this is 16 states across the country. What is I think the... it's in an animal that the dogs are eating. I don't know what they're eating, but like if there's a squirrel or something. Across the like, entire nation? A population, a maybe. Huh, I don't know. This is uh, just kind of, I, I don't like stuff like this. I like it when science solves the problem quickly. Let's keep going. Oh, you know, that transition was, I kind of fell on its face because I didn't, I hadn't put the last article in the VOD. So anyway, there it is. It's in the chat. You can follow it at your heart's content. Um, the next article is over in hometown daily scientists discover dairy cows that produce less methane. Ah, milk, milk, the wonderful treat. The more you drink, the more you less you toot. I don't know. Some cows actually produce 14% less methane than others, um, but they still produce just as much milk, a new study has found. So some researchers have discovered that there are some dairy cows that produce less methane. Robin White over at Newsweek.com in a, se a section they call Better Planet, if you need to take care of something, go for it, um, is uh, apparently writing about some particular cows having... Uh, lower greenhouse gas emissions. Cultural activities accounted for 10.6% of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions in 2021, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. Researchers from Massey University in New Zealand have now discovered that some cows actually produce 15% less methane emissions. That's hot air for all of you. Um, and the good news is that they still produce the same amount of milk. Uh, the findings were published in December or on December 13th in the New Zealand Journal of Agricultural Research. That's very uh, specialized. Uh, very specialized, yeah. Uh, in the new study, scientists ranked 45 Irish dairy cows by the amount of methane emissions they produced. Those who produced less were found to produce just as much milk. So I guess they can start breeding for lower methane emission cows and get the same volume of milk. I mean, that seems positive for the environment, but 
I don't know. Every time we start tinkering with things, we cause unintended consequences. Yeah, kind of like a weird genetic butterfly effect. Residual methane has previously been identified as a trait that is not related to animal productivity traits, such as milk production. Researcher or research le lead author, God bless America, I am sitting here not able to read today. Research lead author, Katie Starsmore of Massey University. What is that? Degask and Vista Milk said in a statement. So this is funded by the milk industry? It looks like it. So, I mean, it's fine as long as everything hasn't, there isn't any bias, but you know, I, I find things pretty suspect. The average dairy cow in the study was emitting 352 uh, grams enteric methane per day and eating 16.6 .6 kilograms of dry matter, ranking animals based on the residual methane resulted in a reduction in daily methane output by 15% and no effect on productivity. I think they said the same thing like five times in different ways in this article. Let's just well, I mean, on. how many ways can you say that they're not polluting the air with methane right yeah i don't know apparently four different ways including the title the uh next article is over in hatch ideas please send rescue hundreds of delta airlines passengers stranded in canadian military barracks after emergency landing delta flight 135 was headed to detroit from amsterdam on monday and apparently had to do an emergency landing emily rella over at entrepreneur.com put the article together Let's see here. Passengers left a a Amsterdam's Schiphol, I think, um, airport around 7.15, headed to Detroit, Michigan, but were diverted due to a mechanical issue to uh, the province of Newfoundland to the Goose Bay Airport around 2.20 p.m. Why do I know about Goose Bay? Is that Because it's, um, it's the jacket company, Goose isn't Bay? it? Or no, it's Canada Goose, I think. Um, why Goose Bay? I think that's from um, War Games. I think that's the island. They went to an island. I think it was called Goose Bay. Yeah. Um, which is weird. Um, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, some passengers claim that they were stuck on the plane for 10 plus hours before being moved to a second plane, but were unable to take off. Overtime laws prevented the crew from legally operating the flight. In a clip viewed by 5.7 million times, one passenger recorded the scene live from the airplane, showing passengers cold, confused, and wondering what was going on. Why weren't they told? Just sitting on a plane for 10 hours. Apparently, they were given... Um, what one pack they of peanuts uh they were given water food and shelter and that they would be compensated for the inconvenience though the airline did not specify what exactly that would look like apparently it's a free stay in military ba barracks in canada on a plane that probably didn't have heat i'm assuming goodness let's keep going Hey, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Can coconut waste replace plastic foam coolers? The Philippines is the second largest producer of coconuts in the world. An estimated 9 billion husks are burned or left to rot here every year. Fortuna Cools 
makes coolers out of that waste instead of the commonly used expanded polystyrene foam, often incorrectly called styrofoam. Uh, and I think they change into a quote. We make, we make more than 14 million tons of this hard to recycle plastic every year. Okay. So the article is over in uh, businessinsider.com. It's a video with a little bit of a story here, but um, I watched the video. I've actually seen this before in a different context because I already know about this company. Uh, Kevin Riley, Lillian Manansala, and Manuel Silva Paulus wrote this article, put the, the article together. I don't know what all went into this. Um, but essentially this video goes through uh, talking about these new coolers where instead of it being styrofoam and or plastic, they're using coconut husks that they shred up and stitch together um, much like um, felt. Okay. And it acts just like felt as an insulator. And here, here's the wonky thing about this, right? They talk about, could it replace foam insulation and coolers? Yes, potentially, but for something else. First off, I really despise those. I refer to them as styrofoam coolers, but it's polystyrene foam, but nobody calls it polystyrene foam. They call it styrofoam. Anyway, these foam coolers, you know, the, the ones that are the little spheres all glued together and formed into a shape yes. where when you try to break it, it, it kind of explodes little spheres all over the place. That's the coolers that people use, but it breaks down into microplastics and can't be recycled. Uh, it, it basically just ends up in landfills in the water. Uh, or in the ocean um, and uh, is just horrible for the environment and fish and other animals eat it and blah, blah, blah. It's just horrible stuff. So do I think that this is great to get rid of that? Yes. All kinds of people in the Philippines, fishermen, fisher people, pardon me, um, uh, utilize these styrofoam coolers. And let me see if I can just find that way because I want you to go and watch this. So they make this little mat out of the coconut husks, right? They, they cut out the coconut, they shred up the coconut husks, and then they weave it into this. Um, we here in hometown used to use coconut husks for a different purpose, but what they do for these coolers is let's see if I can back it up. They make these little mats. And then they slide those mats into, into these little jackets. Now here's the problem. This whole thing is plastic all sewn together. Right. Now, so it's good that they're not using all plastic, but they're not getting away from plastic. And right. And they're recycling plastic to make these materials. So it's all good, except that it's still breaking down into microplastics. They're mitigating some of the damage, but it's still another microplastic source and they're still using plastic. Again, they're mitigating it. So it's good, right? A lot of it is recycled. They're also using other waste that maybe just 
collecting on the ground or, or contributing to carbon, right? If Correct. it's being burned. Yeah, because it's being burned. But here's the other use of coconut husks. Coconut choir is used in hydroponics. So if you have, you know, your own uh, basement um, garden and you use grow lights, you can use coconut choir, which is the same stuff. Um, it's just shredded in a different way and then compressed into a big block. And then you add some water and it grows exponentially. <laughs> um, and it holds nutrients and moisture and it in itself is zero nutrient. So it doesn't go, it doesn't spoil. It doesn't produce mold. Um, not in and of itself, but it, when you add other organic stuff like seeds and, and you keep on adding water periodically, it can grow mold and whatever else, but you babysit that stuff. And largely it doesn't, it doesn't happen because you sterilize everything and coconut choir is sterile. So people use this. And then once it's been inundated with roots from plants and you chop the tops off of your plants, you grind it all up and compost it. And then it becomes outside compost. Um, you don't reuse it. So there are more uses for coconut husks than just this. Um, and all it does is act as insulation. And so not all of it goes to waste, but a tremendous amount does because one company only values the meat inside the coconut. So go and watch this video. I think that you'll get a lot out of it. Um, let me throw this into the chat so that you can go check it out. There you go. But it's a fun video. Um, 10 minutes like on the nose and um, they show how let me see if I can show you these little, um, the coolers that they used to use. Let me see. It's kind of hard to find them in this video. Uh, no, that's not it. Yeah. So basically they're supporting the people to switch away from the, Oh, there it is. I keep finding it, but then I scroll just a little bit past it. Um, yeah, damn it. Let's see if I can find it. Don't, nope, don't, nope, 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 nope. Okay, I can't keep going. Anyway, it's a neat, yeah. it's a neat solution. Um, but they also have a more domestic mass produced um, product that's here in the States. And um, it uses a similar it looks like that. And so woven into, um, inside this, I think inside the little bats, um, are 11 coconut husks. And then the bag itself is, um, made from 20 recycled plastic bottles. So again, it's plastic. It's, it's not removing it from the system and replacing it with something else, it's recycling it, which is stopping, it's mitigating the consumption. But on the other side of the supply chain, people are still using plastic bottles. So, you know, I've switched um, my main drinking vessel from a plastic bottle um, 
and I don't even use glass. I, I use a, a metal, a, an aluminum recyclable device, right? A mug. Um, and I use this one for um, cold and hot. And, uh, and I've got another one for coffee if I want coffee. Um, but I think that is where we need to go and get away from plastic. We have to get away from plastic as much as possible. Um, but I don't know if that's in the cards, you know, this is, it's, these are really heavy turning it, you know, making a, a metal insulate, double insulated, um, you know, bag like this would weigh 20 pounds all by itself. Right. Which then means people wouldn't buy it, etc. Yep. Yep. The other benefit of this is that it's also providing a local source of jobs. Yep. I mean, it may have been anyway if they were producing other coolers, but there's layers of um, benefits here, even though it's not entirely getting away from plastic. Yeah. And it's stopping the waste, uh, like you said earlier, because they were burning and letting decompose these um, husks. So um, there's another... There's a company that I'm looking at right now that makes, um, it's what they refer to as vegetarian or vegan leather. And it's made from mangoes. Um, oh, yeah. That's odd. yeah. And they basically, and it's in, I think it's in Iceland. Um, the main supplier loses like 10% of its mangoes, um, through, um, just loss, you know, quality and stuff like that. And so instead of throwing it out, they give it to this, they give it to this company and they mix in a couple of, um, uh, proprietary elements and make leather from mango. <laughs> they tried to make That's it from watermelon, odd. but there's he, the person said, <sighs> basically there's a lot of water in watermelon and not a lot of fiber so it makes for a bad leather and i'm like dude it's in the name i know <laughs> it's probably the most watery fruit that's well that known. you can possibly yeah other than a grape maybe um but no there's like grape leather and stuff like that too um uh, there's cactus and pineapple or no cactus and something else anyway i've been looking at ve vegan non-animal leather um for a product that i i make now um using uh veggie it's called veggie tanned it, instead of animal tanning um and uh but i i want to get away from r real leather but the people who talk about <laughs> the the reason why it's okay to use leather is because we're consuming the other parts of the animal. And so it would go to waste. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, but I'm not a vegetarian, so, um, I, I don't have any problem with that part of it. I just don't want to encourage, you know, the use of, but well, and we have to be careful of the cyclical arguments, right? Exactly. Because it's like, well, we're eating meat. So therefore we need to have, leather products or right. we're having leather products so we need to eat meat right but we won't get away from that really if we don't and i get it i mean again right the massive to have something go to waste but yeah the massive paradigm shift you know i don't want to have a 
I don't want to be the one person that has a self-driving vehicle because there's going to be some goober out there that crashes into me, even though my self-driving vehicle can dodge a lot of stuff. Somebody's going to throw it into hysterics and I'm going to end up in the rail. Now I will shift in a heartbeat if everybody goes automatic, because then I can get in my car and just say, I want to go to this destination. And I know my car can get from here to there at 120 miles an hour and nobody's going to crash into me because they're all talking to each other. Same thing here, you know, everybody switch like a quantum leap over to a seismic shift away from eating beef. Exactly. Okay. We got to do it as all, you know, like one day we just shift over to something. I know it's not yeah. like that. But. That's crazy talk, Mayor Watt. You're out of your mind. They can have my cows when they pry them from my cold fork. Next articles over in hometown daily things that make no sense. Epic lost a fight over Apple's closed iOS platform, but won it over Google's more open Android platform. And that's why I say apples and Google's can't be compared. That's what this segment is titled. This is one of the longest titles in the, uh, the, shows up in the show um when epic went after both apple and google a few years ago with antitrust claims regarding the need to go uh, through their app stores to get on phones we noted that it seemed more like negotiation by lawsuit both apple and google have cut some deals with larger companies to lower the 30 percent cut uh, the companies take on app payments and it seemed like these lawsuits were just an attempt to get leverage that's what the article says um, in the snippet that's provided. Then they say that was especially true with regards to the complaint against Google, given that it's much, much easier to route around Google Play Store and get apps onto the Play Store. So this article comes from TechDirt. Mike Masnick is the author. <laughs> I like the name of their department. From the uh, effing jury's yeah, department. I don't think that's really the department name. <laughs> so uh, let me just uh, summarize this article because I've been aware of this lawsuit, both against Apple and Google from Epic. Epic has its own store. I don't see why, first off, I don't see why anybody should be able to claim um, monopolistic tactics or uh, anything really antitrust, anti-competitive, etc. If you have the ability to launch your own store, and I'm telling you now, everybody has the ability the ability to launch their own store, not necessarily but, an app store, and not necessarily to be successful, but they can launch it but they can launch it. And that's what's called being a competitor in the space. Well, here's the deal with Apple. And this is why I don't think Apple can be sued successfully for antitrust claims. They are a singular vertical. Nobody else manufactures their product. Nobody else manufactures their operating system. They are very closed in all senses, except for opening it up to developers to use their platform to distribute their wares, but the price to play is 30%. You would have none of the Apple customers 
if not for them affording somebody the marketing and discoverability within the Apple ecosystem called the App Store. Whereas Google has never clamped down on side loading. Maybe they have, and it's been a long time ago. There are subordinate or I guess insubordinate um, Apple uh, Google uh, stores that sideload products. It's one of the main issues with cybersecurity around Android devices because you can sideload so easily. It's much tougher to do that on an Apple device um, because there's so much security involved. Um, although I have been challenged to try and get into somebody's phone. But the, the only way for me to get access to the phone is to put myself in what I would say is harm's way, but they would say is, um, I don't know, good oral hygiene. I'll put it to you that way. There you go. Yeah, I've been challenged by my dentist to hack a device. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the oral hygiene part of it. <laughs> to hack a device <laughs> um, that is always sitting within arm's reach of the person. So the I have a way of doing it. I just have to find a co-conspirator. So, but they've given me permission. They're like, if you think you can. Now, I hope that they've forgotten it because it's been about a year uh, since the challenge was dropped. Anyway, that right there is the reason why you can't go after Apple. It's a vertical, it's secure, it's the one-stop shop. They open up the venue for you to sell your product and get discovered through Apple. If you use their payment system and everything else, if you go into somebody's house and sell a product, I think the person who owns the house deserves a piece of the action because you want it in there. They open the door to let you always under, it was always couched in the agreement. 30% goes to, right? Well, and that's why I don't think this is at all comparable. Right. I mean, right. there isn't any other major tech company that's structured like um, Apple yeah. is. Is there? Um, there are siloed organizations, siloed companies, but they're much smaller in scale. They different. They're, you know, like um, Sony keeps trying to do that. So they have you know, Xbox is a silo. Nobody else can produce Xbox itself. Nobody can produce a PlayStation itself. Um, and it's an ecosystem where if you want to get into it, then you have to develop for it. You pay the fees for it. There are fees associated with distributing your software on, you know, Xbox or PlayStation. And, and those exist, right? Um, and you have exclusivity agreements so that a, a piece of software is paid for by PlayStation, Sony, um, or by Microsoft Xbox. And the company goes, okay, I'll give you exclusivity for five years for this product and it'll sit there. But then why isn't there antitrust there? It's the, it's the flip of the store. Well, Epic has its own store. So is in, in like I've said in arguments with people, 
now that you know what the solution is, you'll have to agree with me just to save face. You won't be able to sit there and go, well, I would have always let you sell your product in our store. Well, no, if you would have been the first mover, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have let Apple competitive products be stacked into the Epic store. Why? Because it's competitive advantage. Why would a competitor go, yeah, sure. Come on in. No, that's just not how competition works. Instead, you know, Epic would have told Apple and, and would have told Google, yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to help you if you, I would not throw you a life vest if you were drowning in the ocean and, and my boat was passing by. They wouldn't care. They, whatever. Big business, but no. So I don't think that there is any good argument except when it came to Google. Google was open. Google was, uh, you know, basically just get into the store. You can sell. Ah, da, da. There was no gatekeeping. There was, as far as I understood it, there wasn't very much um, security apparatus in place for software. And there, if you talk to people in cybersecurity, you're like, hmm, Google Play Store is kind of, woo, you better be pretty pretty on the ball about your security. In fact, I know people that have sat there and said to me, I am never going to go over to Apple. And then suddenly I start getting blue texts and that's a sure sign that they shifted that over to Apple. That's the, that's the key. Yeah. Cause they're not green anymore. So, uh, basically what happened was, uh, Google actually, <laughs> Epic can launch launch its own app store without restriction from Google is um, it's that Epic has said that it's not asking for money, but rather to have made clear that Epic can launch its own app store without restriction from Google as long uh, along with the freedom to use its own billing system. So um, Google said that it'll appeal, but overturning a jury ruling is not easy, according to the argument or to the article and it, the jury had sided with Epic against, uh, Google. So essentially, <laughs> um, Google was found to be antitrust, um, uh, and uh, guilty and, uh, somehow was monopolistic, <laughs> but Apple not. And I think it's because Apple is a vertical, right? Right. Um, I mean, again, they're not comparable. Yeah, I, I don't ever see it. I've never seen it that way. Um, and I've gotten into this discussion quite a bit. Um, I was around when Apple. Oh, I actually put this already into the chat, so I won't do it again. But I was around when Apple almost died, was saved by an investment by Microsoft. That turned into billions of dollars if I recall correctly for Microsoft, when they actually sold that ownership share in, in Apple, um, and Apple had actually tried to have an OEM manufacturer, right? Uh, uh, an original equipment manufacturer 
using a like a knockoff case like a PC, but with Apple guts in it and people hated it. It didn't have the brand identity of Apple. Um, and that was when their product was wildly expensive. And as a percentage of uh, income, it's still wildly expensive to be an Apple consumer. And they don't hold their value nearly as much as they used to 20 years ago. Okay, let's keep on going. This next article is over in Technology Today. OpenAI will train its models on Business Insider and Politico articles. I don't know if that's good or bad yet. I guess we'll see what the LLM says. Um, OpenAI will pay. Good. You know why? Because huh. everybody's been all bent out of shape that everything is being provided for free to train AIs. And I'm not saying that's not correct if that's happening, but. So I think this is a positive change, but it's going to impact others because once this happens, everybody else is going to say, hey, wait a second. I don't know. This is kind of freaking me out because how do I put this? OpenAI is going to have to start charging more money because it no longer has its millions. And I would rather... Right it just consume information that's publicly accessible. You know, I don't, I have to deal with ads. So does OpenAI if it's scanning the material. And there's a difference between scrubbing, scraping a page and looking at it optically. Um, I, I just, I'm so bothered by this because a deal is reportedly worth tens of millions of dollars. Okay, that means that OpenAI, which had been scrambling to make money, informed a, a for-profit wing of a not-for-profit organization <laughs> so that it could make money. Now it's made so much money that it can pay tens of millions of dollars to get article to train off of Business Insider and Politico articles. Um, so now it doesn't have those tens of millions, which means that consumers are going to have to pay more. And again, give it until the first, the end of the first quarter of 2024, and you'll find out that the cost of using OpenAI is going to go up. Pranav Dixit over at, I think that's how they pronounce their name, their name over at uh, Engadget.com put the article together and it says OpenAI will pay German publisher Axel Springer to use its news articles to train its AI models and show real-time information from Axel Springer's brands, which include Business Insider and Politico in the US and Build and uh, Welt in the uh, in Europe, in ChatGPT's responses, none of the companies disclosed how much the deal was worth, but Bloomberg reported that OpenAI will pay the publisher tens of millions of euro over the next three years. So it'll pay for the news, but am I going to see fewer ads? Am I going to, you know, experience any real difference as a consumer? No, it's just money that's probably going to go into the coffers. Um, let's see real-time news content through our AI tools. This is the problem. 
they're basically going to get paid to remove reporters because the AI is going to be able to do writing, you know, just it's going to it's kind of like um, Uber drivers earning so much money for Uber that they can go and buy self-driving vehicles and replace the human drivers with self-driving, you know? You succeed so much, you replace yourself. You, yeah, you price yourself out. So um, OpenAI's partnership with Axel Springer comes on the heels of the concerns from creators, authors, and publishers who have criticized and sued generative AI companies um, for training their models on content without consent or compensation. Some publishers like the New York Times, Vox Media, BBC News, Reuters, and CNN have blocked OpenAI from accessing their data. Striking deals with AI companies, however, could provide a brand new revenue source. And consumers are going to have to pay for it. You know, the people who actually use the AI are going to have to pay for it. Anyway, that's there's more over there at this article, um, but I'll let you all go and check it out. It's already in the chat, so go, go. Come back though tomorrow and talk with us about it. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Let me grab this real quick. Um, throw it into the chat. There you go. <coughs> oh my gosh, pardon me. Epic is giving away 17 games as part of its holiday sale. Epic Games plans to give away 17 free games during its annual holiday sale for the Epic, uh, Epic, Epic Games Store, the company announced on Wednesday. The first free game, and I already have it, is Destiny 2 Legacy Collection. I I keep getting told by people, hey, let's go play Destiny 2. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. I've never loaded it up. <laughs> uh, which includes three <laughs> expansions, The Witch Queen, Beyond Light, and Shadowkeep. If you want to catch up on the some of the older Destiny 2 content before the recently delayed release of the final shape the legacy collection might be a good thing to add to your epic game store library according to this it doesn't include the current lightfall expansion jay peters is the author the deck statement says the first game you can get for free is destiny 2 legacy collection 2023 there are some great deals on games to buy too um yeah so you'll have to download the epic store and you know anti-competitively <laughs> download or it's a free purchase you when you put it in your cart and purchase it it's zero um, but it goes through the whole process of billing you and you get a receipt oh it's so cute yeah it anyway. sounds a little bit of sarcasm there there is a little bit um so Legacy Collection will be available for free until December 20th. At that time, the next free game will unlock. And according to this, the 2023 holiday sale has become pretty good deals too. Epic is bringing back its Epic coupons. This time they'll give you 33% off any transaction that costs $14.99 or higher through the sale, or the course of the sale. There was one time where they gave you a free coupon worth like, maybe it was 15 bucks and you could buy anything. Um, but it wasn't a one-time thing. You could use the coupon again, but it wasn't oh, wow. like on everything. It was only on something that was priced $14.99. Um, you can get the truly excellent, excellent Alan Wake 2 for $39.99. And during the Epic sale, we'll toss a code in for Alan Wake Remastered. 
Alan Wake actually um, did pretty good at the Games Awards a few weeks ago, or actually a week ago or so. I think it's only been six days. Um, you'll also get Alan Wake Fortnite outfit, but that offer is available as long as you buy Alan Wake 2 on the Epic Games Store for October 27th. You know, I'm feeling I'm feeling like this is a little anti-competitive and it should be available on other people's stores too. Oh, wait, you can't get Fortnite? Oh, never mind. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage is on sale for $35, and you can get it for $23.44 with the Epic coupon. Ta-da! Anyway, there's some more in this article. You can go and check it out. In the meantime, we are going to jump into the next article. Sound good? Sounds good. The next article is over in the Mobile channel. How much should a textbook cost? Try zero. Oh, <laughs> cast your minds back in time when Marowat was going for a master's degree. Um, I won't go into much about that other than the fact that it was at the time a requirement to buy books. A set of those books cost nearly $800. Wait for it. For two books. Ooh. Right. And because I didn't know if it was required reading throughout it, um, I bought the books. But because of what I did for a living pretty much my entire existence, I didn't actually need the books. <laughs> but I needed them. <laughs> just in case the material in the class um, was outside my sphere of understanding and uh, no um anyway trying to sell them later, back it was not trying to sell them back guess how much they wanted for them uh you mean how much they were going to give you for yep. them probably like a hundred dollars yeah, forty dollars yeah in one case the receipt from the last buyback was in the book that I purchased and they bought it from the person for $12 and I had to buy it from the bookstore for 120. Wow. So pretty amazing. Anyway, this whole article is about OER, open educational resources. They're learning materials that have been licensed for payment free use by educators and students. Now this is kind of a, odd thing a lot of oer is public information that has been gathered together by either an educator or a group of educators or subject matter experts that have put stuff together and it meets certain academic rigor researchers and experts in the field of higher education are increasingly considering oer as a useful tool for reducing the financial burden on students yes i went through a paralegal program where it would have cost me about $1,200 in books, if not for me um, having the ability to dig around and find cheaper books. If I would have bought it straight from the bookstore, it would have been uh, that much more expensive because the books were required. Even though the most expensive aspect you would think would have been the research aspect of it because you have to have either LexisNexis or, well, Lexis, 
um, or Westlaw. Um, but that was actually provided through the academic um, institution, but very limited <laughs> in scope um, and immediately shut off when you're no longer a student, right? Because Lexis and Westlaw are Right, both. you wouldn't want to have, um, you know, continued ability to research. Yeah, you don't know. And because of the exclusivity that they have within the legal field, um, you being able to get access to legal information, even though taxpayers pay for the entire legal system, um, <laughs> this is kind of weird, right? Like taxpayers pay for justice. Um, the there's extraneous stuff that's attached. The value add of Westlaw and Lexis is um, what amounts to analysis and collating and correlating information amongst all of the cases. So it makes it easy. Honestly, to the legal uh, justice system, it's amazing. If an end user wants it, if a student wants it and the institution doesn't pay for it, I've been quoted around and I can't give the exact number, um, but I've been quoted somewhere between 350 and $500 a month, depending on who it is that I was talking to at the time. So, and the organization, either Lexus or Westlaw. So, um, OER is invaluable nowadays when a book is still costing $120 and you can only use it for 15 weeks because you're done with the class and who goes back to their books after the class is done. Uh, but then probably nobody, the only other place to sell it is on eBay or some other venue. Um, and nowadays you're getting taxed. If you resell something you pay for, you have to have the original receipt and the selling price. And then you reduce your taxes by documenting how much of a loss you had or a gain you had, and then you pay, you're going to end up having to pay taxes. Now, my understanding is the IRS has suspended that, um, in relation to venues like, um, eBay, you, we, we don't have to pay the tax. Well, if you're a business, you still have to pay all of these taxes. Um, but individuals that are reselling something that they've already purchased, they don't have to pay. Um, but talk to your tax attorney. I'm not your attorney. I'm not your tax subject matter expert. Not accountant. I'm not your accountant. I'm not your attorney. I, I'm, I'm not even your bartender. So go talk to the experts. Anyway, um, they say here, after all, the average cost of a college textbook in 2022 exceeded $105. Correct. Yeah. 120 is the average um, that I have seen. So this article is over at fizz.org. Benjamin Kessler from George Mason University put the article together and they say Sophia Marshall, an assistant professor in the Business Foundations area at Costello Castle, uh, Castle Costello College of Business, made uh, recently made a valuable contribution to this discussion with her completed dissertation for her uh, doctorate in education from Marymount University. Uh, entitled Closing the Traditional Textbook to Make Room for Open Material. Marshall surveyed 33 faculty members on their use and perceptions of OER. 
The respondents were vaguely familiar with OER as a concept and their answers indicated positive feelings about using OER as a form of financial relief for students. However, their responses evinced. Evinced? That's a new word for me. Evinced. Um, I lost it. Confusion. It's not used in a lot of, uh, <laughs> you don't hear it in conversation. Interesting. Responses evinced confusion as to the differences between OER and other forms of unlicensed material downloaded from the internet. That's because OER is legitimate <laughs> and unlicensed material is copyright theft. Um, for example, solid majorities of survey respondents reported being either aware or very aware of US copyright and public domain frameworks, while less than half claimed similar familiarity with Creative Commons licenses governing OER usage. By the way, I have run across people that are willfully ignorant. They know damn well that unless they receive permission to use something off of the internet, right? One way or another, if they download a book that was put on the internet, they assume that they have permission to use it in commercial, no value add, no discussion, for academic or commercial purposes, primarily academic purposes, because they don't know if permission was granted and they are assuming that because permission or because it is freely available, permission is granted. Wow. I mean, that's uh, an interesting approach. Yeah. Um, and it's shocking uh, what their jobs are. So anyway, uh, in addition to using OER on their courses, faculty can choose to get involved in creating OER related to their area of uh, expertise. By the way, there are institutions, college institutions out there where the professor that's teaching the class is the subject matter expert and thus has chosen their book. And whereas somebody that's in the government isn't supposed to be able to benefit from their position, personally benefit from their position. If you go to a college and the PhD professor that's teaching it is the self-regarded in any case, subject matter expert and has published a book, they can personally benefit if the school allows it. Quite fascinating, right? Well, Marshall survey respondents, were generally aware of these benefits, yet only 24% of respondents said that they had ever considered producing OER. Why? That's because they don't personally benefit from it other than the fact that they get to name themselves in the material that they generate. It actually, depending on the agreement with the school, anything that you generate while under the auspices of the institution become property of the institution. You're, you are work made for hire. So, and again, it really depends on your employment agreement, uh, wherever you are. If you work for a company and between, you know, nine and five, you're working for the company and you do something as a side gig during those hours, there's a good chance the company can come a calling. Right. Watch out for those double and triple jobs we keep seeing in the headlines. Yeah. And a, and a lot of that either has to be allowed by your primary wage giver. Um, and if you do it on the sly, then 
how are you doing that working three jobs if you're supposed to be working for 40 hours on one job where are that you that probably means you're not doing one or two or three jobs yeah exactly and i've seen that before too in organizations where i've uh, interacted with senior leadership you know oh they know uh they just haven't found that it's made your job um more difficult although you know i've had to put a stop to it to with people who have done it um anyway practical recommendations for educators and marshall's dissertation include forming an oer task force to gather data on course material usage tracking the total amount of money saved by students as a result of oer <clears throat> and sharing that figure with key stakeholders and providing a venue for information sharing among faculty who are teaching and or authoring oer the problem here though is that either if I'm the subject matter expert, I'm being compensated to be a professor. I'm not being compensated to create content that could remove me from the equation. Again, it's like the Uber dynamic. If I build all of the OER, why do you need me? Because OER is a lot of the times video demonstration because it's cheaper than having to reprint or digitize something and then distribute it again and again and again. You can just provide a single link. Um, but a lot of professors do all of their work, teachers, instructors from every level of academia. They do it out of the kindness of their heart, out of the goodwill, because they want to see people become holistic human beings or I don't know, depending on who the professor is, maybe fanatics for a cause or whatever. Anyway. Um, and one of the things that they actually draw attention to is something that I've actually heard um, as well. Fundamental misconception that, that Marshall would like to see dispelled such that the idea that free is synonymous with low quality. I've heard people make comments like this. And then when it suits their own cause, they've pivoted. Well, my work isn't low quality. Right. Okay. Get the hell out <laughs> well, of my office. Well, there's definitely some snobbery don't you think going on in this exactly arena exactly but i mean you know if you make it so expensive that the students can't even afford to take the classes because of all the materials there's a problem hey if there's money in it i'll put it to you this way there are some seven day classes that are seven thousand dollars and it isn't the preeminent cutting edge where you walk away um, with something that is so uh, universe changing. It's simply that the domain has a lot of money rolling around in it, you know, and somewhere in that system is Scrooge McDuck swimming around in their gold coin pool. But that's how it is. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of snobbery and gatekeeping in academia. So I would never do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing it right now. Next article is over in hometown daily. A man blew up his apartment while trying to kill a single cockroach with way too much insecticide. Police say <laughs> this one is called nuke decide. <laughs> 
54-year-old man's apartment in Japan exploded after he tried to kill a cockroach with insecticide, according to a report from the newspaper. Oh, really? Mayanichi, I guess, uh, right? Because you, you have to pronounce it like that. My in my Nietzsche, my Nietzsche. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to try. <laughs> Sorry, what y'all just don't get to see is the sentient AI keeps keeps an eye on me so that I don't wander off like, you know, I see a mode of dust in the light and I oh, hey, oh it's so pretty. We were going oh, down a rabbit hole. Am there. I screaming? <laughs> Um, and so I get an error message from the AI Marwat focus. Oh, 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 what I'm streaming. Oh my God. Yes. We're doing the show. <laughs> oh, better put my pants on. Um, so Azri Suratman, uh, is in a picture here and I can't wait to see it. Cause I haven't looked at this yet. Cause anything, any image that I'm about to see that has to do with uh, somebody blowing up their apartment because of a cockroach. I hope it's impressive. So let's take a look at it. I'm I not know, even going to read I mean. the, I'm not going to read the snippet. Kwai Wei Kevin Tan over at Business Insider put the article together. Oh, that's, that's not stock images. And it's not even stock images that is like um, a true merging of the two images. Right, it's just right a wall on fire and somebody about what? to spray a cockroach that's already met they were demise. looking at it too narrowly like if they were looking for a stock image that's like apartment blew up because of throwing pesticide on a cockroach <laughs> of course it showed up with nothing yeah exactly so the article again is over at business insider and um so a man used a lot of insecticide when he saw a cockroach the police told the mainichi uh, shimbun newspaper Insecticides are generally flammable and can combust when it touches an electrical socket. By the way, this is what's preventing me from killing wasps in an air vent. Um, because hey, this is a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, somehow wasps ended up in an air vent from the outside, and like periodically, one would show up in 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 my bathroom, and. I'm having a freaking heart attack because you're in a compromised position when you're taking a shower and <laughs> suddenly a wasp pops out. Um, and so supposedly we've remedied it, but you know how nature is nature's insidious. If it can find a way into a secure living spot, then it's going to find its way in. Um, so it says here, you may want to reach for your slipper instead of insecticide. Next time you see a cockroach. No, I will nuke the place from orbit. An apartment in uh, Kumamoto, Japan, blew up on Sunday after a man used insecticide to kill a cockroach. 54 year old had sprayed a lot of insecticide in his attempt to vanquish the cockroach. The Japanese police told the Shimbun newspaper. I'm not going to keep saying it. The resulting explosion shattered a balcony window and left the man with minor injuries per the newspaper. The report added that the police identified burn marks near the man's uh, kotatsu, a Japanese heating table. Oh, so <laughs> the thing that he uses like to um, heat up his food. I think that's what a oh, kotatsu okay. is. 
Um, hold on. I need to verify that because I think that I've watched videos. Right? I think it's like a little... Um, it's like a heating table. Yeah, isn't it? Oh, weird. I, I guess I have a different per perception of what that is. Every single one That's of these... That's what it sounds like it. Every single one of these that I've seen, Japanese kotatsu futon, there is a table that has a heating element in it. But I guess it's just to keep food warm sitting on the table. It doesn't actually heat it up like that. You know, like boiling temperatures, like cooking something. Right. Anyway, I must have a different perception of it. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to end up going down the rabbit hole of a kotatsu uh, table for crying out loud. Every single one that I've seen so far, it's a flat table and then it has a like a blanket attached to it to keep the heat in. Or around. I don't know what the hell that well, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, according to the National Consumer Affairs Center of Japan, there are several reports of explosions occurring after insecticide bursts into flames when it's sprayed near electrical outlets. Yes, that's true. That's because it creates an arc across the positive and negative. For example, electrical outlets, motors, or exposed wiring pose a potential threat of electrical shock to persons applying water-based pesticide sprays. Even the gas, by the way, you know, like you spray it and it, it's aerosolized. So even little droplets are sitting there potentially creating an arc. Pilot lights wow. and gas flames from heaters and appliances may ignite flammable petroleum-based uh, pesticides. Man, it, it's all scary. That's all this article is by the way so there you go folks PSA, right? PSA. <laughs> that's exactly where i was going thank you don't spray any liquids near like an air vent that has a fan like the air vent in in the primary bathroom above the shower has a motor in it that is an air vent an exhaust vent um, and a light and so if you spray right there, you're going to create an arc and it's going to blow up your roof. <laughs> so don't do it. Um, what's really funny is the pest control people were like, don't use your bathroom. Just close the door. And, and I'm like, okay, it's been a week since you wanted me to close my door and nobody's come. I'm going to have to find somebody else. And they're like, <laughs> oh, wait. They did stuff on the outside. Did uh, you're still getting them? And I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I think I would know if wasps are flying around. Yeah, because I'm sitting there, you know, buck naked in my shower, going, "Yep, there's a wasp right above my head, and it could drop down at any moment. If it loses its footing, it's gonna land on Mayor Watt's head." And I don't have much protection, so. Anyway, or worse, where it can land. Jeepers. Anyway, that's it, folks. Back in the party bus. Let's go back down Main Street. And there's the welcome sign. I'd mash it, but no. There's nothing going on here. But Tesla unveils its latest humanoid robot, Optimus Gen 2. Because just like other things, can't come up with anything original. Right. What happened to Optimus? Prime. Why not just call it Optimus Prime? How original. <laughs> Ass hat. Anyway, 
I'm done for the night. You got that? Yeah, I said it. Um, that's all 10 articles. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Hi, artificial intelligence. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mayor Watt. Are you doing okay? I'm doing great. I might be hallucinating like an AI. Not really. Oh, you're very trendy. That's the word of the year. I know. I I hear that people like it when I get down verbally. Okay. You do that. I'm out of here. And so is the AI. I'm taking that visualizer with me. <laughs> See you tomorrow at 8 o'clock. I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. There's the sentient AI's ring that's not apparently working. Cause Good night, hometown citizens. OBS sucks. No, I love you, OBS. You you just have these personality quirks and you know, I, I gotta pet you and say nice things to you and put you under my pillow. Yeah. It's getting weird over here in the mayoral mansion. That's right, OBS. You're a good OBS. That's right. There you go. Good OBS.